who I am super excited about, which obviously if you guys watched last week, I had the honor of interviewing his brother first, Don Jose Ruiz. Uh, so I'm super stoked and I'm really, really excited. So uh, in a little bit, uh, oh my gosh, she's on right now. So I'm gonna ask him to join, I'm like super stoked. Um, and yeah, we'll get started. I'm 
finish wearing the five levels of attachment, timing out to work on or master yourself, you know that tension. You know, when even though I was born into this family, I did the work. I, I, it's one of the biggest lies I ever told myself was, I'm not this is automatic, I don't have to do anything. It, it requires a lot of work, a lot of processing. So, you know, I was 27, 26 years old when I really began to apply it in my life. Even though I've apprenticed with my grandmother since I was 14, I began to do this work to self-heal, to recover, to let go of a lot of my domestication, but a lot of my own image of what I thought I was supposed to be, pretending to be something I'm not. And then you finish this journey, and you, you can say, can you go peel the onion, peel the onion, peel the onion, and all of a sudden this thing just goes, and, and it feels good. You, know, you, you hear this wrong part where it feels, finish that inner journey within yourself and it feels great, it feels good. Now I still live in a community. I don't live isolated in an ashram or a monastery. I don't live by myself in a hill. I'm part of a community. How do I stay in my discipline as I begin to engage my everyday life? You know that that image at the beginning of the book, being the only sober person in a party where everyone else is drunk. You know, imagine you do this process, you do this journey, and you have that, I'm gonna use that imagery of sobriety, and like, oh, okay, it feels good. <laughs> but you're still in a party where everyone else is in different stages of their attachment, you can say. So I always see the The people in this party are everyone you love, everyone you work with, your family, your friends, your beloved, everyone's in this party. Now imagine talking to two people. The person to the left you're talking to has had a drink that they've been nursing for a long time. And nursing the drink simply means holding the drink and once in a while sipping it, but you're barely buzzed. You know, you yeah. haven't even rebuilt the drink. It's just this party favor that you just walk around in. Just to look like you're accepted. Yeah. The person to the right has opened So you have that. How do you 
to engage the drama of the party by grabbing a drink and nursing it once in a while. And also you realize that if you take one sip, like the person who's on the left, all of a sudden, hey, that kind of goes good. <laughs> and little by little, you finish the drink, you hey, serve me up some more. And it goes like that, it's a slippery slope in a way. So from that point of view, how are you going to stay in your discipline? How are you going to engage? So for me, that was the premise of the last year self. You know, it's, it comes from the moment where I take out the mask of who I thought I was, the identity, that image. And that's all an identity is. It's a simple good definition. It's when I get to know myself through the experience of being me, of the experience of being alive, and how I want to engage that, how I want to manifest it. To me, very simply, the mastery itself is the one where I stop pretending to be something I am not, and I accept myself for who I am. Basically, I'm this living being that's engaging me. I don't need an identity to know who I am. I know who I am by the experience of being me. And how do I engage the world? So to describe what the dream of the planet is, is describing the party. You know? If the main function of my mind is to dream, that's what we know as the individual dream. Very basically, uh, my father would put it this way. If I'm the voice that's talking inside my own mind, who's listening? I am. Well, if I'm the one who's listening, who's talking, Miguel? I am talking. I'm the one to, uh, that voice that I hear when I'm thinking. That's me. So that relationship between me and me, I can use the the metaphor of my brain and my mind, my, my mind and my heart, or left hemisphere, right hemisphere, whichever one, but that experience we have, that inner dialogue, is what we know as the individual dream. And we call it a dream because the main function of the mind is the dream, which is to perceive and to project. And I see a single point of perception that is me. Now, like I said before, I don't live alone. I am part of a community. 7.5 billion, last time I said, maybe almost 8 billion now. And each one with their own individual dreams, everyone in their own journey. And when we come together, we create the dream of us. You know, we can call it society, culture, community, family, whatever term we give it in order to understand it. It's just coming together to create our civilization, our, our language, our values, and all these things, how we want to create it, how to reshape it. And here's the thing, I can't control it. I only control to the tips of my fingers. I can't control your perception, I can't control your will. I only control my perception and my own will. So how do I co-create? How do I engage? How do I continue impacting? And how do I do it while staying in my discipline of my own awareness? So if you can say that it's the moment where I put into practice everything I've learned to help me heal my, within my own relationship, within my own individual journey, because I can't give what I do not have. If I have disharmony within me, then all my relationships will be in disharmony. It will be the creation of domestication or conditioning or conditional love. But if I heal that within me, then that's what I'm able to offer. I become the constant opportunity for unconditional love in all my relationships, for awareness, for harmony, peace, respect. That's what I can give once I had that for myself. So that's where the mastery self came in. And now everything I just said was the tangent. <laughs> that my publisher told me, stop, stop, stop. Like that's like, no, 
it's amazing. I'm just like, oh my god. I, just, I love it. I was like, keep going. <laughs> yeah.
someone just accepting you and giving you the peace of just liking who you are. Um, it's probably the best thing ever. So, which makes, which is my next question. Why did you decide to write this book and how have these steps helped in your own life? Sure. Well, in The Seven Secrets to Happy Health and Relationships, uh, that book started by my dear friend, Heather Ashamara, inviting me to work with her. You know, she is my dear friend, my ink sister, and we work together. So I had just finished the mastery of self at that moment, but I also had just finished something in my own life. You know, how do I apply it to my life? Um, when I wrote that book, I had just finished this journey of healing with my first love, someone I love very much, my high school sweetheart, she and I. You know, you can say that my brother and my dad had their aha moments in different ways. My, my dad had a, an accident that made him go, aha, like, what is this? My, my brother had a moment of an aha moment when he went blind after a dental procedure and some, some nerve got here or whatever, but uh, his eyesight recovered, but during his blindness, he had this aha moment. For me, my aha moment came when I lost someone I loved very much. You know, you know how I was talking about before, how you know, I didn't really practice until I was like 27 or 26 yeah. years old. Well, I lost someone I loved very much, and looking back, and it was kind of like a friend thing. Like, I, when I was young, you know, I really believed that or what people told me or whatever, but uh, the best way to get over a heartbreak is to get into a new relationship, right? And yeah, you hear that. In the process, you don't do any of the process, find someone new and whatever. So basically, it became like a freight train. You know, it's like, you, you just, you, the, the, there's all this stuff that you just don't work on, keeps getting bigger, 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 and heavier. It's like the, the equivalent of carrying this corpse of who you were and carrying it all over. And it's heavy, it's stinking, and it's infecting every relationship you're in and with that and you know a relationship you just pile it back on it yeah <laughs> kind of like that break check analogy and then you there's that moment of heartbreak you know it was the, it was the year of 2002 my dad had suffered a massive heart attack and then me and uh, my brother at the time uh broke up and there's the woman i wanted to marry at the time and i couldn't project blame i could not project any blame it was all heartbreaks was I was pretending to be something I wasn't you know I, I that image that I had of myself didn't exist and causing so much blame and projecting so much blame and not only anything came at a high cost and it is a heartbreak that changed my life because you can say I my dad wrote the four agreements when I was 21 years old and then at that moment I picked it up again he's like when I was 21 years old, I picked up the book, and after chapter three, I put the book down because it was my dad telling me what to do all over again. That's the thing, when you grew up in a family with dealers. Yeah. Your father is You're like, I only hear you, dad. I hear you every day. The whole power struggle. Yeah. Father and son. But when that happened, I picked up the book like everyone else has, and I used it to heal myself. I began the process, you can say it's the moment where I really began to apply everything I learned. And, uh, and I did this whole inner journey, you know, I had this moment, so I stopped dating for a whole year. I just basically took my whole time to heal and 
validate or whatever, I can say no. And I can say no to the people I love, especially someone I want to date, whatever. So my my teacher once taught me, don't waste your time with potential. And when I was young, I just, I always thought, oh, that means don't waste your time with someone who is a wannabe or trying to just find quality from the get-go. Yeah. And it just, it's just domestication all over yeah. again. But then I realized during that time, right, what, what my teacher meant was not that. What my teacher said um, meant, don't waste your time with someone who doesn't want to be with you, even someone who does. And that's what don't waste your, put- your time with potential is. Don't waste your time with someone who doesn't love you or accept you for who you are. And then I realized it's, it's not their job to accept me for who I am. It's my job to accept myself for who I am. Don't waste my own potential. So I did that work and I began that healing and I let go of that. And then I met my wife. You know, I, I, she came into my room, into a room and we met one Saturday, we kissed once the next day. We met one April 10th, we kissed one April 11th of that. You know, and yeah. we've been together for 17 years now. We basically the closest thing to You know what? I'm going to give a hair flip, flip for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm so going to give a hair flip for that. That was the result. I, I did all the work, so by the time I got there, I met my wife just in time. Anyways, we heal a lot of stuff, and then me and my first love went back to the question of what, what I was able to contribute to the seven secrets to happy, healthy relationships, uh, social media did. Uh, all of a sudden, MySpace is... Oh my God. MySpace <laughs> around. I'm reconnecting with my friends from college and high school, and there she is. There's the name of my first love. So I send a request, we accept. Oh, you're a better one than me. For the first time, <laughs> I don't know how many years. And we, I go to San Diego to visit, and she introduces me to her husband, I introduce her to my wife, my, our kids hit it off and for a good number of years we hung out and talked and, and just got, you know, had fun with the families and all yeah. that, and her husband's a great guy, uh, she and my wife get along pretty good. And then one day in the middle of, uh, on the eve of, uh, of uh, my first marathon, I went down to San Diego and it was just the first time she and I got to hang out. It was, we took her son to play in a, in a play, and we just talking all of a sudden. I apologized. I apologized for everything I did. Just like, I learned the difference between guilt and remorse. Guilt is punishing yourself over and over again for something you want to do. And every time you think about it, you judge yourself for me. Culpa por mi, culpa por mi, culpa. It's kind of just punishing yourself yeah. time and time again. But here's the thing. If life were to give me a chance to do it again, I would do it again. That's what guilt is. Punishing over and over again. Remorse, on the other hand, is this. I see the ripple effects of my actions. How my actions impacted their life. Not from an evil point of view, but from a point of view of how I, took an action and I hurt this person. You can say it's the first time I heard her and listened to her as the first time I saw her as a human being, not as the girlfriend with all the expectations that come from being domesticated to being this has to be this way, this has to be that. 
I hurt her and listened to her, and I apologize. I didn't ask for forgiveness. I apologize. And remorse is basically that. But the key difference is this. If life were to give me a chance to do it again, I wouldn't. Not because I got caught or whatever. It's because I know that consequence is not worth it. Because it's not worth it to hurt someone. And that's what remorse is. I own my actions. And I go. And so that's the lesson that I learned in my life. And when I said that to my first love, and I felt like it, I think she felt like I heard, I listened to her for the very first time, and I listened to her. Something incredible happened. All of a sudden, she shared with me her side, and we we're both there healing. And something my 18-year-old self would have loved to hear. She said, "I love you very much," and I meant to her then. And that's how we healed it. And who, people who benefited from that is not just me and her, of course. In my case, my wife, because that old wound is no longer affecting my presence. It's no longer affecting my relationship in this moment. It's healed. And I'm very grateful to my wife for giving me that much uh, trust. Oh yeah, I was gonna say she must be a saint. I was like, you found yourself a saint. <laughs> She's that great of a person. So from that point of view, you know, it's the four secrets of healing. And uh, the, the, the original title of the, of the book was this, the, the, the Soul of Intimacy. Ima imagine a lotus flower that we call intimacy. And sometimes that lotus flower closes because there's so many wounds and so many things we're not protected. But the more you heal these wounds, the more more you open and it opens because you have trust and when it opens you, you allow yourself to enjoy which is the set of the fifth secret so basically healing and joy allow that ability to trust again and love blossoms where trust exists and when this happens the channels of communication open up because you're no longer protecting whatever wound you have to a certain point communication gets you know, it's like walking on eggshells. You know, sometimes yeah. you don't say this, or sometimes you you know what to say to hurt the other person, and it becomes this battling cabinet. But communication is exactly what allows us to heal because we listen to each other. An example of when you when you're not listening is an example of this is if you're talking to someone and you finish what you're saying, what you're saying, and it's the other person's turn to talk. If you're thinking about what you're going to say when it's your turn to talk again, you're not listening because you're completely focusing on not just what you're going to say, but processing and interpreting what the other person is saying, but you're not really listening, which means you're not really present. So sometimes in order for us to get there requires an ability to heal those wounds that intimacy blocks, is blocked. And that usually it comes from a lot of unhealed wounds, a lot of all, all, all this, all these things. So when Heather Ashamara came asking to participate in this project and, and rewrite this book, uh, which is also the art of showing up um, as an audio book in 
and sounds true. You know, it, it came out as sounds true. Okay. The artist showing up and with Hiram uh, Publishing, the Seven Secrets of Happy Healthy Relationships, both are the same project. Okay. In different titles. That is what I brought to the table. That experience, that journey. That's that's the part where me and my first love healed that relationship that allowed me to heal all. You know, sometimes that's the that's the thing. Sometimes you have that one wound because the heartbreak, you can say, that impacted everything afterward. Only because, well, we never heal that wound. You know, you and in my case, I allowed it to pile on like freight train. But until that moment, letting it go simply means no longer using that past to hurt my present. And that's the thing. So, you know, the seven secrets of happy, healthy relationships are. It's, it's written in one voice, it's not a he said, she said. Oh, yeah. I said this, I said that. Our publisher. It's like one. <laughs> did a great job morphing both, that, both voices to this uh, voice that goes between both genders and experiences and what kind of thing in order to explain different concepts that are very complicated and did a great job. But that's, that's, the, that's the process on that one. And, you know, Commitment, awareness, freedom. These are the foundational secrets that allows me to have the commitment to myself. Like I'm the only person in this relationship. I'm the constant in every relationship that I am in. Every person in my life comes and goes, but the only person that I am will always know for all my life will be me. So the commitment is within myself and the commitment to that goal of Conditional love of my domestication is my commitment to myself to let go of the, the of the judge and the victim to let go of those things to become aware of what are my triggers and allow me to be free of my own domestication. That is the journey. You know that you can say that that part of it is what we learn from you know the for practicing the four agreements and doing all those foundational work that we do within ourselves. And once we have that for ourselves, we're able to give. I love it. I can't give what I do not have. Oh, I love it. Um, okay, and I'm so sorry. Like, I know I, I kept you over, but I have like two more questions. Is that okay? Okay, cool. Awesome. I'm just like, I'm just like, oh. <laughs> um, so, and I really do love what you said, like how you're open, saying like, like you said, your dad is like a master. And like you said, even you have had to work with yourself and you would think by all means that you should, it should come supernaturally and super easy. So I think it helps everybody if they're reading it or even um, if they're just starting out, it's not overnight and it does take time. So it's really good to know that it's, they don't feel like, gosh, what am I doing wrong? It's really good. Being the eldest of my father's uh, children, there's three of us, me, Jose and Leo, I remember Dr. Miguel Ruiz, I remember Apprentice Miguel Ruiz, and I know Don Miguel Ruiz. And all three stages of that evolution, you know, Dr. Miguel Ruiz was a domesticator, but you know, he expected straight A's, <laughs> he was like kind of thing. Then he had his aha moment, then he began to become the apprentice, which is to process and all that kind of thing. And then he became Don Miguel. And, and in my case, each stage of those awareness within his life was different than how he parented me. Dr. Miguel Ruiz was a domesticator. Uh, Apprentice Miguel Ruiz was a hybrid. And Don Miguel Ruiz was, all right, let me set up an experience for you to learn. But it's a journey, you 
again, it's always individuals. So we're all in, in a different stage in our race. It's a marathon that we go in our own pace, that we're not competing against anyone or comparing ourselves to anyone, which is part of the reason why you master yourself. It's the journey where I'm in and enjoying where I'm at. So all of us are in different stages. Which I love. Um, so it brings me to my second question. Um, so I touched on it with your brother last week, Jose. You and your family uh, created a four-month guided program called A Path to Authenticity, uh, which I think is wonderful. Uh, what is your favorite part um, about the program? What do you love most working with your family? Well, also Aaron and Carla, who, who for me are the people who really created, like me, my brother, and my dad, we're the talking heads on yeah. the camera. But it's uh, Aaron and Carla, my, my cousin Carla, my uh, Carla Ruiz, who probably is here. Yeah. <laughs> She's the one I text and I email, I think. They created this, uh, this structure that allows us to teach, uh, not just virtually, but engaging. Uh, it's a combination of re we report the lessons. Aaron, who's been working with my father since the 1990s, uh, understands it, so he begins to put the structure in, and then we do live uh, on Sundays and Thursdays. Now, on Thursdays, there's, there's the part where we can focus on answering questions from the group and engaging that group. Then on Sundays, is the, is the lectures with me and my dad and Jose live. So it's a combination of pre-recorded stuff and live stuff and I'm, I'm saying that because my favorite part is the lives part where we we get to answer and engage together these questions and comments and sometimes it's kind of like we're talking to one another because you know you get to hear my, my answer then you, you get to hear my dad's take my brother's take and sometimes we just go off each other kind of like all right how can we build it it's this thing that we just go like this which is fun, you know, it's like we build upon each other and what we're saying, and that part is fun, but, you know, you can say that the, the real gem is that it's a, it's family, you know, you know, Aaron, Carla, myself, uh, Jose, my dad, you know, Leo being the boss, of course, it's a, it's a family interaction that we come together to create something that is beneficial to whoever wants to hear it, if it's, if it's relevant, of course, if it's not relevant, well, you know, but uh, we put for some stuff that help us and hopefully it will resonate with you and it'll be great. But once again, the question, what's my favorite part is engaging my family and working together. The whole thing is fun because of that. Beautiful, awesome. And then my, I promise my last question is, um, what is your favorite uh, meditation uh, and, or practice that you do to start your day? and their breakfast, I go up and help Alejandro uh, wake up, process, get dressed, 
uh, Russia's team and all at Compton House. Like it's I'm not actually basically doing yeah. this after her, guiding and reminding him of every stage and you know helping him with that. And Audrey comes out, she helps out with that. Uh, they go out, I get dressed real quick, calm down, help with the food, help here, help there, and get handled to reminding him. 20 minutes to bus, 10 minutes to bus, 5 minutes to bus, bus is here, let's go. And after that, okay, I'll be great, okay, let's go pick up your, her best friend. We go down to school and I take her down and I'm on my way back. Sometimes I have my cafecito, okay. like today. And sometimes I go uh, to work out, I go for a run, do kickboxing or uh, whatever exercise I do, lift weights. It's a, it's a brief moment to myself before I go back to service, you know, be ready for when they come back from school and take care of them, you know, so right now, my main job, my main, my main, my main intent is, priority is my family, my, my wife and kids, you know, being there for my wife and helping her in everything I can, uh, being there for my kids and even my dogs, my mom who lives next door, you know, also being there for her, you know, giving her something to do and engaging her. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's tough to let her uh, pamper me. Oh. <laughs> when she comes in, she wants to do this. I'm like, oh, mom, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. She's like, no. Anyways, um, that's, that's the main job, like writing books, doing uh, this interview or, uh, or doing presentations and things like that. That's my side gig. That's my side project. You know, that's that's my. You can say it's my passion, but it's really it's it's also my my uh, what's they say purpose. My, oh, the word is uh, my hobby. Okay, <laughs> purpose, it's passion. What, uh, it's 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 what gets my inspiration out. You know, teaching, sharing, having these conversations, especially that get mom to parts of it. That's fun, but. What allows me in the morning to really set my intent is making sure that my kids are okay. My wife is okay. So you can say, I'm holding space. So that's what I do. I hold space for the people I love. Oh, I love it. And I'm really sorry that I went over my time, but I thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't like thank you enough. I'm just like, oh. You guys are amazing. Thank you and, so and much. You saw my prima, uh, post something. Did she? Carla? Oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much. And thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry. Oh, yay! Well, I'm glad! Yay! That's your passion. What would you recommend for someone who has a great passion for sharing these ideas and helping others as a career path? Uh, I'm going to quote uh, Dave Grohl from Nirvana. Yes! Yes! Don't be afraid to suck. Be, a, be willing to start. Hey, fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, oh, I'm so glad they're saying hi instead of something else. When my father started first started teaching, there were only five people in this presentation. That's 1986. That was even and I know, because I was one of those people. Oh. <laughs> you know, you know. But when I started teaching, started I ran out of things to say 10 or 15 minutes into it so don't be afraid to start where you start that's where you at you know don't 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 rush to write the book don't 
place life. You know, it's like you can say that I tour. I, I you know, when when everything is settled down, uh, when I first started, I toured everywhere in you know, uh, sometimes three people, five people. You know, if I broke even, that was a good that was a good trip. You know, and that was that for years, even before I wrote the book. And you know, just because I have the name Domi Dolores Street, it doesn't mean that everything's automatic. You know, you, you, you have to show up. You know, the name in my case allowed me to open the door for a minute, but the quality of the work I brought is the thing that allowed me to come back in. You know, that's the thing. So follow through, follow through, follow through, and that's it. You know, it's it's all about following through on this. You know, don't 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 quit your day job. Yeah. You find the balance. Right? I, I tell that to my nephews and nieces who are monthly authors and musicians. Find that thing that allows you to continue with your path and still allow you to take care of yourself, feed yourself, give you a life. But like Dave Cole says, don't be afraid to suck. That, don't be afraid to be a rookie. Follow through, follow through. You know, I've been doing this as, as a teacher for 15, 16 years. And the first six years, uh, when I was doing presentations by myself, it was just very small groups. And then little by little, my reputation uh, got me uh, the next gig, you can say. You know? <laughs> when I worked in the film industry, I, I, before I did this, before I had kids, I worked in the film industry. Shut up! And one of the things that the film industry taught me was, this is my last gig. Because you never know where you're going to work the next time. You never know when the next job will come. So you follow through, follow through, because you get hired by reputation, not by resume. Your resume might let you might give you an opportunity here and there, but it's your reputation that gives you the job. I had, I got that uh, that in my mind, and when I started teaching, that's what I did. My reputation will get me the next uh, opportunity, and here I am. Little, I, love you. I just got the the golden award, and I see it as okay. It's just a great green light to continue doing what I'm doing. It's not. You know, it's, for me, it's yes, it's a great honor, it's, it's a great opportunity, but for me, it simply means that I get to continue to do this. I don't have to go back to my day job. Yeah. <laughs> I was working in the film industry and being yeah. a production assistant. <laughs> but, you know, I get to be, be able to share my family's tradition and always find that jewel that people resonate. You know, for example, one, I, I, it took me some years to realize that I teach people's passion. And I speak to the people who give me an opportunity to speak to them. And that's the that's that's the key to be able to find something that resonates with them. Sometimes when I, if I ever do a presentation, I do jokes. And the reason why I, sometimes I can stand up comic. And the reason why I do jokes is because sometimes a joke allows you to lower your defenses because you just laughed at something that you resonate because something that's in your life and that goes in. And that lesson, that moment is captured by that laugh. So you find that way, you find tune it because it's it's all about engaging the eyes. You know, it's not just the audience. They let you know what resonates with the eyes the smile with their body language this works this doesn't work this this but how can i reframe it mm -hmm. to be something that is not just
important in my life, but it's something that resonates in someone else. So that's that comes from being willing to suck again, like yeah. you know, the great, great girl recommendation. But it's the thing that allows you to develop your craft. So, anyways, that's my advice. I don't know what the name of the person was, but helps. <laughs> and again. Thank you. I probably could talk for hours, but again, I went over by a lot, but I am so grateful and I thank you so, so much for your time and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day and week and thank you, thank you, and I'll look forward to your lives as well. Thank you. Wait, I'm going to answer this one person. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm still single for 30 years old. I'm still single 30 years old. Stop looking and enjoy your life.
you want extra brownie points for your knowing sex in the city. I mean, it was already high when you remember like how you met your wife, and it's like uh, stratospheric now that you even know the burger post-it note. Like, <laughs> uh, well, the post-it note now is like is replaced by being ghosted. Now yes, yes, but with people. Sometimes it changes. 
So, you know, my father always talks about it, like, when, you know, because he had to face that a couple of times. And he realizes in that, when he's in that bed, when he's in that stage where he's surrendered to that, he's basically realized, man, I wasted my time with so much trauma. And by then you realize it passes. Everything passes. You know, George Harrison's, this too shall pass. Yeah. All things must pass, will pass. So you're just realizing, you know, if, here's the thing about the master yourself. Someone asked me once, is the master yourself means that you're always going to be happy. And I said, no. Life will always throw a curveball. Life will always go down in a, in a deep, dark path. You know, for example, in my life right now, my son is dealing with a lot of anxiety. And as a parent, that's my only anxiety I have. The master yourself, for your practice, is like when you become a master of this, is that when life is good, you enjoy it. When life gets tough, you apply everything you've learned to move the story forward, and that's it. When life is in a rough patch, you apply everything you've learned to move the story forward. And one of the things, I, the reason why I paused is that I just remembered that we heal with our own permission. And that we don't heal in a timeline. We don't heal with a calendar or a time or a timer. I have this much time to heal. No, take your time. It's not a race. Give yourself that permission to heal. And in that permission to heal, you apply everything you've learned. You know, sometimes I talk to people who have PTSD and they're in a job that they fear that they, if they ever admit they're having PTSD, that no one will ever hire them, that they'll lose their job. You know, thinking of firefighters, police officers, uh, soldiers, even cholos. You know, cholos are afraid to let people know that they have PTSD. Mm -hmm. Gangsters, I mean. Yeah, no, I know, I knew what you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, uh, but the thing about it is that once you let go of those things that stop you from healing, well, that's exactly what we do. Let go of those things that stop you from healing. Jose has this expression. In the Totec tradition, there's nothing to learn but to unlearn, which means, simply means that we let go of those things that reinforce our domestication, but also let go of those barriers that prevent us from healing. And usually, it's our own permission. We're living up to an image. For example, I'm Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. and I'm never supposed to have anxiety. I'm never supposed to feel this. That's ego. Don yeah. Miguel Ruiz Jr. doesn't exist. I exist. And I go, I have my highs, I have my lows. And we go through the whole thing. So just give yourself that permission to heal. You know, if I really let the image of Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. get in the way, I'm gonna get out of bed. <laughs> I'll be just repeating what I did with my ex-girlfriends. Yeah. This whole like, rail freight train of all this stuff that I never processed because I never want to admit it. But once you admit it, once you own up to the truth, awareness is always key. Because once you have that awareness, you can actually do something about it. Pretending to be something you are not for the sake of someone else's point of view or prejudice or domestication or traditional love. Well, we'll never gonna know who we are, and it's exactly what will prevent us from being who we not just who we are, but loving who we are, but healing that being within us. I heal with my own permission. So Sometimes you know, I've, I've seen people, you know, soldiers and firefighters and, and police officers and cholos, you know. You know, 
recently have a, a friends who, who grew up with scanisters uh, in San Jose and they finally gave themselves the permission to heal and the, the one person went there and then they took someone else and then mm-hmm. else they're doing all this uh, the healing journey and my gosh their, their personality has changed so much and their being is just they, they start pretending to be macho and they just being willing to be vulnerable and sometimes that is exactly what love is expressed I love myself to heal and you know I, I use those images but all of us have different things what is to be a strong one what is to be a strong man yeah. and what is to be this what is to be that sometimes those are the things that bear us and with our own remorse sorry with our own with our own judgments with our own guilt with our own conditional love so for me to enjoy life is exactly giving ourselves a permission to heal oh, oh my gosh i gave you i wouldn't like scare you and like run and tap like i told your brother i would just briskly walk and give you a bear hug <laughs> oh, <thanks>. yeah <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.